Have you ever asked questions like this? Why, God? When are you going to do something? Are you even there? The prophet Habakkuk asked questions like this on the backdrop of a world that was full of terrible evil. The presence of his book in the Bible is our permission slip to wrestle with God when our world seems overrun with everything wrong. But Dana Gresh says there's a right way and a dangerous way to ask your questions of God. In this message, she'll show you that we have to decide if we'll remain a combative wrestler or grow into a clinging embracer. Bob and I live on a hobby farm in central Pennsylvania, and how I wish I could invite each of you over for an evening to meet all of our fur babies. And I want to tell you about one of them that I miss so much. His name's Quito. His name was Quito. Um, in 2018, in the fall, I was at a ministry conference for Revive Our Hearts in Indianapolis. I was gone for about a week, and when I came home, I found Quito lying in the pasture. Now, whenever I see one of my babies lying in the pasture, I'm hoping they're sunning themselves or taking a nice little nap, but I always make a mental note to check in a half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, and to make sure that they're moving. Well, he wasn't. So I walked out there, and he just looked at me with those big blue eyes, and I pushed and I prodded and I tried to get him up, but he couldn't do it. And it didn't take long for the vet to surmise that Quito had meningeal worm, which is the most insidious, horrific thing you can imagine. Because that worm is headed towards their spinal cord. And it's a horrific, horrible way for an animal to die. Here's the thing. The fact that one of my animals had one of those worms meant all of them were at risk. And it was a really frightening couple of weeks as the vet treated every single one of them, and we prayed over every single one of them. And after about a week, it was evident that we had beat that worm in Quito's body and that none of our other animals, praise the Lord, were infected. But he still wasn't standing. Quito was absolutely 100% normal, except for the fact that he was never going to be able to stand again, which is no way for an animal to live. And so we talked with him, and we hand-fed him hay, and we said goodbye. And then, as the vet administered the injection, we just touched him. Life is a beautiful thing, and death is horrifying. Every time. And when you see it, you have questions. Now, here's the thing. That night, I had questions for God, too. God, I was serving you. I was away doing things for your glory. Why could you let such an evil thing happen to my friend? Now, of course, losing a llama is a small problem in the scope of life. But my friend, Kim Michelle, just this past year, she saw the beauty of life, and she saw the horror of death. But it wasn't a fur baby. It was her sweet husband, Carrie, who didn't win a four-month wicked battle with stomach cancer. And she asked me questions I did not know the answers to. You know the hardest one? I've never seen two people have more faith than Kim and Carrie Michelle, never in my life, when asking the Lord for healing. And she looked me in the eye, and she said, how could God not honor that faith? I had so much faith, I never even said goodbye. 
Why didn't God answer our prayers? Hard questions. Is it okay to ask the Lord hard questions like that? Well, as we journey through Habakkuk, I think we find the answer is a resounding yes, that God gives us permission through the example of Habakkuk to ask hard questions. Now, in our most recent session together, we learned that God really is concerned with everything that's going on around us in our world. He says that he loves the sparrows. So I think he probably even had concern for Quito, but I know he loves us but he's more concerned with fixing what's going on in our hearts than he is in fixing the circumstances of this temporary world, which, let me remind you, is not our home. He's working on bringing us home, and he wants our hearts to be prepared to be in intimate communion with him. You'll recall that we're recording this during a time when our world is just not like we're used to. We've just come out of sheltering in place from a pandemic as a result of COVID-19, and I'm with a very, very small group of friends, and our world is reminding us that it's broken and that it's full of evil. Habakkuk gives us a permission slip to wrestle with God, to ask our hard questions, and hopefully you've been doing that, but today we need to revisit that because you need to know how to ask those questions. There's a proper way to do it, and there's a dangerous way to do it. God is God. We must approach him with respect. And today we're going to look at how Habakkuk does that. Now, let's remember Habakkuk's name. Habakkuk used questions to talk to God, and in doing so, he lived up to his name. Habakkuk is an Akkadian word that means either wrestler or embracer. Which one was it? Well, we're going to take a look and find out that I think maybe it was both. I think maybe he wrestled at times, and I think maybe he embraced at times. And that's very significant. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write the word wrestler on a line, and then right under it, write Habakkuk 1, 1 to 4. Those were some of the verses we looked at in our first session. Let me just look at verse 4 for a moment. It's almost smack talk. Like, this is not the kind of respect you should bring to the God of the universe. He says, So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk looks at God and says, Your law is paralyzed. Wow. What audacity to speak to the Lord this way. Now, there is some level of respect. He begins with, oh, Lord, but then that's it. He lets loose. He's wrestling with God. It's very accusatory. It's combative, and his heart is wrestling. Now we come to a place in the book of Habakkuk where I believe there's a progression in the way he's questioning God. He still has questions. He's still asking them, but he's doing it with a different posture. Maybe it's the sobering news that God has just told him, I have seen what's going on in your world, and I do have a plan. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Maybe he's been sobered up and reminded that God is God. Or maybe it's the fact that he's maturing. Maybe he spent some time with the Lord and thought on this. We don't know the time frame between those first few verses and the ones I'm about to read, but we do see that there's a shift in his posture and the way he's handling his questions with God. 
Let me read Habakkuk 1, verses 12 and 13. This is the second time Habakkuk asks God some hard questions. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, speaking of the Chaldeans who will come up against his people. You have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. In verse 13, it goes on to say, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors? You see, he's still got some hard questions. And are silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. Yep, Habakkuk is still asking questions. But do you hear how they're now embedded with new respect? They're embedded with truth. Let me point to just a few of the things that I see here. First of all, he begins with, are you not from everlasting? Oh, Lord, are you not from everlasting? He affirms what he already knows to be true. Now, he's kind of probably asking that, are you really everlasting? But he knows that he's learned that. He knows that he's learned that God is everlasting, and he is depositing that into his question. I think that matters. And the second thing we see that he says, oh, Lord, twice. Now, when he said that, he was using the covenant name of God, Yahweh. Now, faithful Jews could not think of the word covenant without thinking of faithfulness. They were somewhat synonymous to them. And so in using that covenant name, he is declaring God to be faithful. He's standing on that because he knows that is true. Another thing we see is he says, my God, my Holy One, how precious that is. He's getting closer, isn't he? He's becoming more intimate in the way that he talks with God. He's remembering you are mine. There is a sweetness in these questions that wasn't in the first set. He's not a distant God. He's a personal one. Habakkuk is standing on that because he knows that is true. And he calls God the rock, meaning he won't be moved. But he knows that God is strong. He knows that that is true. And what we see Habakkuk doing in this second set of questions that he wasn't doing quite as vigorously in the first set is he is embedding his questions with what he already knows to be true about God. I think it's so important. When we're in hard times and the spiritual amnesia is likely to set in, that we go to God honestly, we go to God boldly, we go to God openly with our questions. Listen, he already knows what's in your heart. He already knows your thoughts, what's in your mind. You might as well speak them to him. But could we do it by standing on what we already know to be true about God? If you're taking notes, I would write the word embracer on a line and under it, Habakkuk 1, 12 to 17. Or maybe you just want to write that in your Bible. I like to write in my Bible. Now he's becoming more inquisitory with his questions, and he's clinging to God. There's a nearness, and there's an intimacy. So I think that Habakkuk has wrestled with God, and I think he has also become an embracer. And what I believe that he's teaching us is this habit of faith, that when we ask God hard questions, we must embed them with truth. We must stand on what we already know and understand about God, 
Do you recall in our first session we talked about faith and fear being sumo wrestlers in my head? Now, I don't know if you've got a set in your head, but they're in there. They're constantly wrestling, faith trying to win, fear and pride trying to win. Now, if they are sumo wrestlers, which is the analogy that works for me, then you've got to feed one, train one, develop the muscles of one if you expect it to win the wrestling match. And that's where standing on God's truth becomes so important. We have to feed our faith in devastating times more carefully, more faithfully, more vigilantly than any other time. We must feed it at all times. But it is so hard in times of devastation to hold on to our hope and faith. Now, I have this really difficult memory from just a few years ago when it just felt like my personal world was falling apart. A lot of things were converging to be difficult. Things in my marriage, things in my ministry, things in my personal life. I was becoming an empty nester. And walking through the grocery store could be call for alarm and a breakdown. I mean, I remember one time I went to buy ketchup and I realized I didn't need the family size. So I just had a great big meltdown in the ketchup aisle. And I just, I felt outside of my mind. I don't know if you've ever walked through a season in your life where the pain is so great that your brain stops working the way that it once did. And I found that I wasn't thinking as clearly, thinking as quickly, understanding things. And one of the big challenges for me was anytime there was silence, the wrestling match started up in my head. And the fear was winning. The fear was winning day after day after day. And here's the big problem. Because my brain wasn't working the way that I would have liked, when I read the pages of my Bible, it just didn't seem to make sense. I, how do you stand on truth when you can't concentrate? How do you stand on truth when you can't remember it? How do you stand on truth when you can't think straight to recall it? I called one of my girlfriends, and she said, uh, you need some index cards. And I said, okay, explain. And so she said, your assignment for right now is find one verse a day to treasure. Find the one you need. If you have to, Google it. If the wrestling match is saying this is happening in your life, then find the truth by Googling it and just write it on a note card and carry it around with you all day. And that's all I could do. That's all I could do. What a treasure, this ugly set of note cards. This might look like something that's falling apart. I'm telling you, this held me together. I had so many questions. Lord, I, and I would go, and I would look at these words. Let me see if I can find one for you. This is one. This is one. I said, Lord, what kind of testimony can I have if my life is broken, if I'm full of fear? How can I teach your word? How can I lead teens and women in God's truth if I can't stand on it myself? And I found Revelation 12, 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. And that particular day, I just thought, Lord, if this hurt has to happen, can you make it a powerful testimony in your life? 
You say that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And I stood on that truth while I said, Lord, why do I have to get this testimony? Why do I have to have this testimony? I don't really want to tell anyone this testimony. I stood on the truth of what I knew. Are you standing on truth when you ask the Lord your hard questions? Let me say, it's okay if you started out wrestling. We all do. And it's even okay if you're still wrestling. But I invite you, as you're able, gather girlfriends around you like I did, because sometimes we need that, and ask them to help you grow into an embracer to bring God your questions while he holds you. Let me encourage you to start embedding your questions with truth. Punctuate your questions with more than a question mark. Use scripture. Stand on what you do already know to be true. Now, as I have studied Habakkuk, and I hope this happens for you, I have come to see all of the pages of the Bible so much differently. And that could probably be true if I studied another book of the Bible. This is just the first time I have taken a deep, deep dive. Did you know that you were in the hands of a woman who's written her first Bible study? Oh, I'm sorry. But if you'll just dig deep, I think you'll see things differently. One of the things that I saw was that the book of Hebrews is a book about Questions. I didn't see that before. And you know what else I didn't see before? That it was written for the Hebrews. Okay. <laughs> that was pretty blonde of me. I only say it to say this, that as long as I've studied the word and I've studied it very diligently, there's still so much that I'm learning. And somehow being in the page of Habakkuk and understanding the pain of the Hebrew people made me look at this book differently. And I also, because I had been studying Habakkuk's questions, thought, oh my, those Hebrews, they did not get over their question asking, did they? They're still asking the questions in the time of the New Testament. And Paul writes to them to help them remember their faith, to help them get over their spiritual amnesia. Listen to this encouragement. It is such rich truth for you to stand on. I hope you'll stand on it today. Hebrews 10, 35 to 38 it says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Oh, we could stop there, couldn't we? Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. Oh, do we ever? You have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. Get ready for this but my righteous one shall live by faith. Well, there's Habakkuk again. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Maybe that'll be your first index card verse. If you need it, I'm loaning it to you today. I kind of needed it this week. Let us not be women who shrink back. Let us be women who do not lose our confidence, but let us be women who live by faith. Now, in the following chapter of Hebrews, we find that great hall of faith where men and women who have walked in faithfulness are applauded. They're acknowledged, and we are invited to get on the seating chart. We are invited 
to be in that hall of faith, but we must persevere. Yes, we will have questions in this broken world that is not our home, but let us embed those questions with truth. As we close today, let me remind you that Habakkuk is a book of prophecy. Much of what he's writing about hasn't yet happened. We will see it unfold in the book of Daniel in the years to come. And I want to posit the thought that there's a lot of prophecy in Scripture that hasn't yet happened for us today. 25% of the Bible is prophecy, and a big chunk of that we're still waiting to see unfold. Habakkuk teaches us to treasure those prophecies and to stand in faith for those prophecies. And I want to posit the thought that there's two ways we can respond. The first is to embrace the burden and join the faithful in passing on the baton of remembrance. I hope you are loving the book of Habakkuk as I have loved it. I have been praying so hard that you would. It is a baton of faith for us to pass on. And I think that Habakkuk passed it on to Daniel, to Shadrach, to Meshach, and Abednego, and that is why they walked with such faith in Babylon. But we have prophecies to pass on too. Can we be like Habakkuk and pass on the faith that our brothers, our sisters, maybe our grandchildren or children, or maybe we will have to walk through those prophecies? We're going to need a lot of faith. Can we pass the baton on? Because the other opportunity is this. We can reject that responsibility. We absolutely can, and many have. We can reject the responsibility and selfishly nurture the contagion of spiritual amnesia in our world. Habakkuk seems to have stood alone in Jerusalem. It looks to me like many were rejecting their responsibility to pass on faith, but he did not. But I want to tell you this, that whether or not you pick up the baton to pass it on or whether or not you reject the responsibility, you're going to have questions. You're going to have questions. Remember to embed your questions with God's truth. Stand on what you already know to be true about our good and faithful God. This message was taped in the Revive Our Hearts studios. If you enjoyed it and want to dig in deeper, grab a copy of the Bible study entitled Habakkuk, Remembering God's Faithfulness When He Seems Silent by Dana Gresh. This is the third podcast that supports the study experience leading into a week where you'll practice taking your hard questions to God while you stand on what you already know to be true about Him. Learn more at danagresh.com. This podcast was produced by Pure Freedom Ministries in partnership with Revive Our Hearts and Moody Publishers.